His life had been doused by the shame and violence of the cross. Jesus had been given over and betrayed into the hands of the powers of his day, and they murdered him. He went to death. He was shrouded with darkness. He descended into the void. And there, there he heard the voice of the Father say, Rise. Rise. That gospel word that Jesus heard that caused him to have his life given back to him so that he rose from the grave on Easter morning, way back when. That Jesus came back to that which had been stripped from him and took on life again in victory. Rise. Rise. It's a powerful word. It's a gospel word. It's a word full of all kinds of good news. And it's a word that Jesus himself had spoken on many different times in the defining moments of people's lives. Just when they needed it the most, Jesus spoke that word, arise, rise, rise. There was a time in, uh, in, in his hometown that Mark tells about in Mark chapter 2. And he was there teaching in a house. And the house had, was so full of a crowd that had come to hear this man teach, to hear his word and his radical teachings. They gathered so much that nobody else could get in the house. It was like jam-packed, right? There was no crowd so that anybody could even get inside the front door. And there was a man in that town who had been paralyzed for a long time. And he had friends that dared to carry him to Jesus. But they couldn't get inside because the crowd was too thick. And so these audacious friends did a most ridiculous, totally unethical thing. They climbed on top of the roof and dug a hole in it. They took this man in a mat. This is not safe procedure for carrying someone they carried him by the corners of the mat up to the top of this roof and they used some kind of ropes and they began to let him down in the middle of church. This is disruptive, y'all. The Lord and down. Jesus saw the man. Had compassion on him. Jesus said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody in the crowd, there were some stuck-up folks that thought that was something that Jesus shouldn't say. And so they began to grumble amongst themselves and thinking about how, what, kind of, what kind of authority and right does he have to speak a word of forgiveness and to give forgiveness to somebody like that. And Jesus knew about it, knew that they were kind of uh, feeling that way, that they had that kind of uh, reaction to his uh, good word of forgiveness and he, so he said to the crowd, which one's easier, to say to somebody your sins are forgiven or to tell somebody to get up and walk? But then he said, but so that you'll know that I have the authority on earth to forgive these sins. Mark chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus looked at the paralyzed man. He said, I say to you, rise. Take up your bed. And go home. And the man stood up and picked up his bed and he went home. And everybody was amazed 
In John chapter 5, there's another story. Jesus is going into Jerusalem, and he's in there in the community, and there's a place that is full of uh, you know, people who are blind and lame and sick in all kinds of different ways. And John tells us about how uh, the tradition in Jerusalem at that point was that people would gather around this kind of public fountain, uh, a pool, uh, kind of like a big public fountain, right? And there they would gather, and they were, there was this tradition that if uh, there was a disturbance in the water that it was a it, it signified the presence of an angel and people would climb down into the water and uh, in hopes that by that angel's presence and the work of God that they would be healed and Jesus came up to a man that had been paralyzed for 38 years and he comes up to this man and he says don't you want to be well and the man said look I, I don't have anybody to help me get into the water when it stirs. And in John chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus looked at the man and he said, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And he did. And all the people that were around there were amazed. There's another story where uh, Jesus was teaching and uh, there was all of a sudden, uh, while he walked along the road, there were these uh, ten people that came to him asking for healing. They were lepers. They uh, had a disease that made them outsiders in their society. And Jesus, it says, uh, gave them all kind of a word of healing and, and sent them on their way. And, and when they were walking away, they realized that they had been fully and completely healed. And one of these uh, one of these men that had been healed of his leprosy that day turned around and he ran back to Jesus realizing that this man had cleansed him of this sin, of not the sin, this, uh, this uh, disease that affected everything about his life. And he fell down on, at Jesus' feet, fell on the ground and he thanked him. And Jesus said, we're all Ten healed, and there's only one that's come back. And then he noted that this guy's a Samaritan. And it's the Samaritan, a double outsider, if you will, that has come to return his thanks and to give worship and honor to Jesus. And you know what Jesus said to that man, don't you? I mean, come on, there's contextual clues here, people. You know what he said, right? I mean, we're in the sermon, okay, all right? And... There, this story's in Luke 17. In Luke 17, verse 19, Jesus said to this man, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. In Luke chapter 7, there's an even more audacious story. Jesus has come to teach in a city called Nain. And there in Luke 7, he's coming in to teach and he notices a funeral procession. And somehow Jesus takes in all the details of what's happening in this funeral procession and he notes that this man that has died, he sees his mother in the crowd. And somehow Jesus perceives 
that this woman, who has now lost her son, was a widow herself, and that the son that she has lost is her only son. And you know what? In, back in that day, okay, that was a, a, a huge tragedy economically. I mean, it was the kind of thing that could uh, cause somebody to be at risk for the rest of their life of just not being able to make ends meet. It was a, a very serious sentence for uh, someone who, was already, who had already lost their husband that didn't lose their son that she was probably dependent on as well. But I don't have to tell you that, right? Because all I have to say is that this woman was a widow, and then she lost her son. And you know it's a tragedy, right? You know it's a tragedy. You know that this was the darkest day that this woman had ever had. And in this story, it says that Jesus, I mean, doesn't say anything about what he thought about the dude on the, uh, on the pier, on the beer, the, uh, the guy who was dead. But it says that Jesus looked at her and had compassion on her. Because his death was a tragedy not just for him, but for her too, Right? Like the tragedy of death always is. It's something that reaches from the person that experiences it into their community and their crowd and their family and their friends. And it hurts. And there Jesus is with a crowd of mourning people. Some of them are weeping and wailing. Some of them are comforting the woman. Some of them are carrying the body. And Jesus walks up in front of the hearse and says, hold on a second. Luke chapter 7, verse 14. Has Jesus addressing the dead man laying there? And this is what he says. Young man, I say to you, rise. There's another story that's kind of like that, where a synagogue leader came up to Jesus and he said, uh, uh, I, I need you to come quickly. This man's name was Jairus. And in Mark chapter 5, we have the story of Jairus, who was not just a synagogue leader, although I thought he probably uh, assumed that was the most important thing of his life, until his daughter got sick. And no matter whether he's a synagogue leader or not, I want to tell you that this man was a dad. He was a father. And the story goes that when this man named Jairus came up to Jesus, it says when he saw him, he fell on his feet and he begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him. And as Mark tells the story, there's uh, a, an interruption on the way there, and Jesus stops and actually heals somebody that interrupts his journey there. I'm sure Jairus was tapping his feet the whole time, right? In fact, the situation was so urgent that by the time they get there, or before they even get there, while he's still there with this woman that he's healed in the crowd, it says, while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say... Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
Which, by the way, shows all kinds of bad assumptions about Jesus, doesn't it? Right? I mean, you would almost think that they would say something like, your daughter has died, you need him now more than ever. It's not as though introducing death in the scene means that we have no need of Jesus. Jesus goes on with them anyways. In fact, it says when he overheard what they said, uh, Jesus said to Jairus, he said, Do not fear, just believe. And he said he, he wouldn't let anybody follow him from that point except for Peter and James and John. It says when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, and the, the mourning has already started. People are, are wailing and, and, the, and weeping there at the house. And Jesus walks into the house, and he says to all the people, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And then it says they all laughed at him which had to be the most uncomfortable laughter ever, by the way, right? It's like the preacher man just made the worst joke in the world is the way they kind of interpret what's happening here. Either that or he's just crazy. Already tense situation, and he says something that doesn't make any sense, and they don't know what to do about it. And so they do the thing that we all do when we don't really understand something, and they laugh. And the next line, I love this next line because it's kind of hard to imagine in the story, but it says, and then he put them all outside. I want you to get into that scene a little bit and just imagine what's happening here, right? Like first he comes, and he's too late. And then he says something that doesn't make any sense and is super awkward. And then somehow, in that situation, while they begin to laugh at him, he somehow has enough authority and presence, and I don't know what it is that Jesus has, but in that moment, he somehow has the guts to tell them all to get out of the house. I'm not joking, right? Get out. And they do. And then Jesus says he took the child's father and mother and those that were with him, his few disciples, and he went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand. And Mark chapter 5, verse 41 says, He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means... Little girl, I say to you, arise. And she did. This little girl that had been dead just a moment before gets up. This little 12-year-old girl. And she gets up and she starts walking around. It says everybody there was overcome with amazement. And he told them not to tell anybody else about it. Just give the girl something to eat. Which makes sense if you know many 12-year-olds. They're all hungry, in my experience. (laughs) Get up! 
Arise. Stand up. Rise. 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 That was Jesus' message. That was Jesus' word. That's what Jesus did. His verb was to go and get people on their feet, to take people who had been knocked down and knocked out and to teach them that they could walk again. His message to the humbled and to the humiliated was there's a place for you to stand even before me. He had a word to the dying and to the dead, and it was arise, get up, stand up, rise, rise, rise. And then when Jesus dies and has his own life taken from him, or we should say when he willingly gives his own life away, there is a beat of silence, a long Saturday. And then Jesus hears the word, rise. And he takes his life back up again. And the testimony of the gospel, like we heard from the book of Ephesians earlier, is that when Jesus hears that word arise, and when he stands in resurrection, that word is not just something that he claims for himself, but that he goes back and he takes the word that he has heard, and he speaks it back into creation. And he says to his disciples, you, rise with me. Rise and walk with me. You who are dead, you who are dying and broken and all in pieces, come back together. Be healed. Arise. The invitation of Jesus is two things. One word where he says to his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to come with me to the cross. And you have to be willing to give everything just as I have to. But the other word that comes right on the heels of that is, once you go to that cross, I will speak back to you the word arise. So give up your broken life. And take up a new one. That pattern is so well folded into our our great symbol. Baptism. In which we demonstrate that twin call of Jesus. Where Jesus comes and bids us to take on his death. And then also bids us to take our life back up again. To live in the resurrection of Jesus. So we're, we have two this morning that have come and said they want to be baptized this morning. Ruby and Sam Bills are going to be baptized in just a few moments. And their baptism is a response both to the word of Jesus that says, follow me in the cross. And then also follow me out of the tomb. And live in the resurrection of the Son of God. It's the call that we all hear. The invitation that we all are offered. Come and lay down. And then get back up again. And rise. The hope of the whole church 
is simply this. That just as Jesus spoke the gospel word of resurrection to the people of his day, and just as Jesus heard that word himself from God the Father, that when Jesus had died on behalf of humanity, he also heard a word on behalf of humanity from God. God says, arise to all of us and invites us to share in the joy of the resurrection. Not just to witness it, but to also embody it ourselves. And as people who have the foretaste of life that is given in the resurrection of Jesus, if people who begin to taste the new life that Jesus offers, we too carry that word ourselves. Having heard like Jesus did the word arise, we also turn back to the world ourselves and say to our neighbors and our communities and every broken thing in creation, God wishes you to live. Come to Jesus. Kneel before Him. And rise. And the great long hope of the church is this. That even in the midst of raging death and deepest darkness, the Father, with Jesus at His side, waits for one last day where He will speak to all of creation. And you know what word He'll say, don't you? Say it with me. Rise. Let's, I was going to say stand up and sing, but instead, rise <laughs> and sing. <laughs>